Welcome. I'm glad you're here. You're listening to Banjo Chat, where I bring in amazing banjo players and chat with them about their life, their music, their stories, their pitfalls, inspirations, and advice. So join us on this journey into Banjo Chat. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Hillary Hawk, and this is my podcast. Welcome to the Banjo Chat. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying dry. I know it's hot out there, record temperatures. It's July right now. This past week was my birthday week, so it's been a little wild and wacky. I went into upstate New York where I'm from. I saw my dad. I visited some family, played some shows upstate, got to see some friends. So it's been kind of a crazy week. Um, But I'm excited because on the show today is renowned banjo player and fiddle player, music arranger, and sought-after performer and teacher of traditional music. He has five albums of music, the most recent being the Back to the Earth album of Gord Banjo, with collaborations from some amazing musicians, and we'll get to talking about that a little bit later, but I'm very excited to have Adam Hurt on the show today. Thank you for having me, Hillary. Super exciting to be here, and happy belated birthday to you. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, you know, it's always a time to remember uh how important uh mortality is uh, around your birth- <laughs> your birthday isn't that the truth um, yeah yeah here we are we're just another year older you know right um uh, but uh yeah i don't ever get to talk to you much uh the last time i saw you i i don't know in person gosh it's it's been a long time i've seen you online i suppose i guess at the um online old time banjo competitions right that uh, you do with Kathy Fink, mm-hmm. and uh, but in person, man, it's been a long time. I mean, it might even be a jam at the Lowlands in Brooklyn, or that was my guess too. Yeah, and I don't know that I've been through Brooklyn since I don't know 2017, 2018. It's been quite a few years, and well before COVID too. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean. Definitely a Clifftop I've seen you, but it's been a few years for me even at Clifftop. So uh-huh. um, it's, it's been a while. What have you been doing? And, and where do you live now? Where are you? I live in Southern Virginia, about an hour above Chapel Hill or Greensboro, North Carolina, just over the line. And mm. uh, I stay kind of close to home for the most part, but I'm good with that. I teach way more than I perform these days, and I teach online, so in theory I could do that in a portable way, but I have really good internet here, and whenever (laughs) I've taken my chances and tried taking my teaching on the road, uh, invariably the internet situation just doesn't work out all that well, and I don't feel great about compromising the the connection quality for my students just because I need or want to get out of the house. So this is kind of where I am Monday through Friday uh, with a handful of exceptions, but I'm happy here. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate what you're saying. I mean, in a way, I feel this, a similar way. I I feel comfortable being home a lot. Like, I feel like when I'm out or I'm performing, it's very social. So I do really appreciate my my home time and just kind of being there. And I don't know, like I I, I, uh, describe myself as a introverted extrovert. Yeah, I get that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I feel like when I'm performing, I'm out and I'm really social and I'm giving a lot of energy out. But when I'm home and I don't have a gig, 
I don't feel the need to go out and socialize. And I, I think mm-hmm. that might be a weakness I have. Like, I, I feel like I need to hang out with people more when I'm not performing. Um, I tend to kind of just like close up at home and work or practice, you know? Totally. Totally. I can relate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about that. But, um, but yeah, just wondering in your apartment right now, because we're on Zoom, so I can see a little bit of your apartment or house. I mean, it's only apartments here in Brooklyn. So are you in a, are you in a house or an apartment? <laughs> I am in a house. I'm in a house. Amazing. And, uh, it's a house that a bank was willing to give me a mortgage for <laughs> as a full-time banjo player, which is still kind of unbelievable to me. <laughs> I, I'm shocked. I'm really shocked. But, you know, you're, you're amazing. So I'm, I'm glad, you know, they should. Um, so how are your banjos set up in your house? Are they, are they hanging on the walls? I see one back there. Are they strewn across your bed? Are they in cases on the floor? Like, how do you have your instruments set up? All of the above. And um, I guess this is one of the pros and also one of the cons of mostly teaching online rather than in person, because I don't really have to tidy things up for students coming in and out of the door all the time. Uh, And I just have to make sure that the view behind me on the camera is kind of clear. So, yeah, all of the above. I've got some banjos in cases in the corner over there, kind of tidy. But I've got a couch over here, and I've got banjos sitting out on the couch, strewn about, uh, like they might be on a bed. I've got a banjo in a stand here that I can access easily for my teaching. And then I've got banjos in varying states of playability uh, hung on the walls around me so that all I have to do is look up and be reminded of what I'm here to do. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, I have one room in my apartment, so everything is just a mess behind me right now. And it's it's just right there to be seen. But it's, you know, it's just all there. It's, you know, it's, it is what it is. And I think when you have um, an obsession like we do, banjos, and I, I'm imagining if you're listening to this, maybe you do as well. It's kind of just how it has to be because you get so many cases. Where do you put them? You know? Exactly. And if you're always tidying up after yourself and putting instruments in cases out of sight, uh, you might be less inspired to get them out and play them, right? Absolutely. I, I move one case in to move one case out. I move. It's basically just a constant rotation of moving things into my apartment and then moving things out so that I have space for the new thing. I mean, that's, that's how my life goes. And uh, especially since the pandemic where everything was just kind of in this one small space. And that kind of brings me to my first question here. Have things changed for you since the pandemic? Have things gotten easier? Have you gotten busier? Have you lost work? Have things changed? Are things back to normal for you? Yeah, well, I would say that this summer of camps and festivals and just music gatherings of other kinds 
is the first one that has really felt back to normal for me. Last year was mostly normal, but there were still some events that weren't happening in their usual way, and uh, crowds were still on the smaller side, and then 2021 was much more of a mixed bag. So I feel like now the community has finally come back together the way we all love for it to do, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but those couple of years when not much was happening were certainly different for uh, musicians and music lovers, and yet uh, not a whole lot changed for me. And as I say this, I'm reminded of how lucky I am, uh, how lucky I was and how lucky I continue to be, because I didn't really have a slate of gigs that could be canceled. I had an odd gig here and there that were canceled, and I do teach at a lot of music camps, and those all got either canceled or moved online, and it was a very different time. But the bread and butter of my music living is and has always been one-on-one -on -one instruction. And I was already set up to do that on Zoom and Skype right. before COVID came along. I really started teaching online in a serious way about a dozen years ago. And I'm sure there were other music teachers functioning that way mm -hmm. at that time. But I was the first one that I knew of in the old-time music community to really embrace that format for one-on-one -on -one music teaching. And so uh, my clientele didn't even dry up. Uh, my students were fortunate that uh, they didn't face employment or other cash flow challenges as far as I know because nobody dropped out of the roster and when people weren't having uh, the opportunity to leave the house uh, there were a lot fewer reasons to cancel lessons. I mean that's sort of an amusing aside but I had a pretty full schedule for that first full year of COVID really when almost nothing was happening and um, let me say again how lucky I am and how grateful I was when I saw so many colleagues and friends have entire seasons of work canceled and start scrambling to figure out what else to do. Or even some of my more teaching-oriented colleagues who taught in person having to pivot and figure out how to do their work online, when for me it was all set, all ready to go. Um, the online teaching format was sort of a, a coping strategy for me many years ago when I recognized that my real strength is as a teacher more than as a performer, and yet I couldn't depend on any one local market to give me a a large enough roster of students interested in this one thing that I do to keep my bills paid. So moving online and getting students from all over the country and abroad was kind of the only way that I could create a stable living for myself. Um, and I've learned various workarounds for the challenges of this 
uh, way of getting together for lessons. It's not the same as face-to-face -face instruction would be, but I think it can work pretty darn well. And um, so I continue to teach that way, and I kind of love it. I will say one thing that I started doing during COVID and continue to do during COVID that just hadn't occurred to me before COVID, and I'm not sure anybody else in our milieu was really doing this either before COVID, was the idea of hosting larger group events online. Right. You mentioned the online old-time banjo contest earlier, and uh, that was among the first of its kind. There were a yeah. few contests that came online during 2020 and 2021. Super cool way to bring the community back together when things like Clifftop couldn't happen. Um, and I've also been enjoying hosting periodic uh, group workshops on Zoom rather than one-on-one. -on -one. And those are with the participants muted, and they feel a little bit more lecture-like than mm -hmm. I prefer, certainly more so than one-on-one -on -one lessons, certainly more so than in-person group workshops. But it's so convenient for anyone anywhere to attend workshops that way. The costs are down for everyone. Everything's recorded nicely for later review so people aren't struggling with their recording devices and maybe or maybe not getting great results. So that has been a little bit of a game changer and a way for me to uh, create a little more revenue for myself and connect with people I may never have had the chance to work with one-on-one -on -one or in person at a, a music camp, and I just love them. Uh, so I plan to keep those online group workshops going as long as there remains interest. The online old-time banjo contest is kind of shifting gears right now administratively, but I'm hoping to see it continue. And uh, I hope that these other live-streamed group events that have taken shape over the past couple years can continue in some form because they offer such great access. They offer great access to the participants, and they offer great opportunities for the presenters that we uh, wouldn't otherwise have the ability to experience. Yeah, I mean, how often would you be able to teach someone in a different country, you know, before Zoom, uh, you know, right. someone on the West Coast or, you know, like things like that? Exactly, exactly. And like the first one of these large group Zoom workshops that I did when it was all kind of new and everyone was really keen had over a hundred people signed up. Now not all of them were attending in real time, but I feel like we had maybe 70 or 80 people on average attending in real time. That's amazing. And in what universe would yeah. <laughs> an in-person workshop with that many people even work? It just couldn't. It'd be a cacophony of craziness, wouldn't it? Oh, just banjo sounds right. tuning right banjo <laughs> yeah. sounds nothing would really get done i mean it would be hilarious no. to watch and listen to but would it be really productive yeah. maybe not i mean for some people that's that's some people's heaven that's some people's hell i, I don't know you know right right uh, the mute button has done a lot for us <laughs> amen <laughs> <laughs> 
But it sounds like the you might have even have gotten busier during COVID with uh, the teaching. In some ways, I did. I already had kind of as full a roster as I could accommodate right before COVID. In the fall, right before COVID, I started maintaining a waiting list for online instruction. But so cool. um, that waiting list has only grown during the COVID years, for better or for worse. And um, there hasn't been much turnover in my extant roster. And um, the slots just stay filled. And I'm still not getting the cancellations that I used to before COVID. I think people are just appreciating the convenience of these online lessons that can punctuate a workday rather than coming only at the very end of a workday, you know? Right, sometimes an hour commute, mm -hmm. an hour lesson, an hour commute back, and that's your whole day yep. for some people, yep. you know? Totally. Um, but I didn't realize that you enjoyed teaching so much. I didn't realize that that was such a huge part of your life and such a beautiful perspective that you have about it. And I, I didn't realize that. I thought of you more as like out and performing and playing gigs. And I didn't realize that it was... Uh, that was a major part of your banjo life. Oh, cool. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And as I said, some of it is just um, the reality of having to make a living as a musician. This is the only thing that I know how to do. And um, the teaching and online teaching specifically um, enabling me to create a more consistent living for myself. But it just plays to my strengths and my interests, or my perceived strengths, I guess I should say. I get so nervous when I'm on stage. I get mm. so nervous. Yeah. Um, I'm a real introvert. You and I were talking earlier about uh, you feeling that you're an extroverted introvert, and I get that feeling because when we are in that place of being in front of a group of people, whether on a performance stage, delivering a show, an associated commentary, or in a classroom space before a group yeah. workshop, we have to engage with the people. We have to connect with the people. We have to uh, seem like we're giving it our all. And that kind of runs contrary to my natural tendencies to hole up and retreat within myself and be an introvert and just play the banjo. So I guess I've had to learn to be extroverted in the situations that demand it. But um, doing so on a stage with a microphone where I'm not getting anything back from the people in front mm. of me except kind applause and smiles <laughs> and nods, but I'm not getting any playing from them on their instruments or any questions or comments, um, that just makes me a little bit uneasy. And I so admire those friends and colleagues who are both great players or singers and compelling performers, because I think it's yeah. so hard to do. And I don't think I would ever be able to really feel at home as a performer and feel like I'm doing my best work as a performer when the music ends for a moment and the talking or entertaining takes over. Right. You know? And I, and I think you're bringing up a good point because 
you're a remarkable banjo player and and I think it's good for for people to understand how artists have to live and make a living even if we have an incredible talent the teaching needs to happen or the all the time on the road playing gigs to make a living like you it's very hard as artists to just be making music and putting out albums and and survive like there has to be another element to it um and then and that for you is the teaching and i think it's amazing and respectable and it's also amazing when people can go out and put their full time into touring which is hard it's a hard life i know it i also really admire those people uh yeah because I just don't think I could do it. Even if I felt more at home on the stage as a, a quote-unquote entertainer, being on the road constantly from gig to gig to gig would wear me out. And even if I do a, a long weekend outing of performance engagements, yeah. which I do a few times a year, I'm just so exhausted by the time I get back home. Um, I need a similar length of time to even recover from the experience. So I don't know oh, how yeah. people go on the road and stay on the road for weeks on end. And I so admire the fortitude that it takes to go there. Yeah. I mean, I found that, you know, I've been on the road a little bit. It's either people are extremely healthy on the road and they're running at 6 a.m. every morning or they're drinking heavily. Right, right. <laughs> it's like the two it's like the two things exist for people on the road. Yep, one extreme or the other and maybe not the healthiest balance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um I want to get to some of your music and um and chat a little bit about it and I was wondering if we could take a listen if you'd be okay with it to your Back to the Earth album of Gord banjo music. Sure. Thank you. Oh, great. Yeah, and so this um, this album, yeah, it's Gord Banjo Music, and you have some collaborations with people on here, and I would love to listen to the track. Um, it's called Biddy. Great. And this is a track that, um, I'm just going to play it so we can hear it, and then we'll talk about it, but I think of this as a, um, this is a fiddle tune that I've heard. It's like I'm in a modal key. Right. And I love your treatment of it. And let's just take a listen and then we'll we'll talk cool, about it. So you. here here is Biddy. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, that was Biddy, and I'm hearing fiddle, and I'm hearing bass, and I'm hearing guitar, and I'm wondering, who is that playing on there with you? <laughs> I was super lucky on that track and one other track from the project to get members of Hawktail involved. So that was Brittany Haas on the fiddle, Paul Cowart on the bass, and Jordan Tice on the guitar. Just musical heroes of mine Jeez who were Louise. so gracious to uh, be up for participating in this project. And what was it like working with them? It was unbelievable. Uh, they're just superlative musicians, but they're also really nice people and really open-minded and so clever and creative. And uh, it was kind of a dream collaboration. It sprang from a residency gig that they had at the Station Inn in Nashville for ah. a couple of years, not long before COVID, and they had a different special guest join them for a lot of those residencies. So one time when I happened to be in Nashville, they invited me to be that special guest, and I was totally humbled by that invitation, and even more so when they told me they wanted to play material from my Earth Tones album, my earlier project oh, wow. of solo gourd banjo music, which they liked and had learned a lot of. So I had never really experienced the gourd banjo in an ensemble context, and I wasn't sure that it would really work. But the moment I heard how they treated the material we were working on for that gig, I thought, this is how the gourd banjo can function in an ensemble context, a little differently from a regular steel string banjo. And it's going to take different musicians than just straight up old time musicians to figure out how to do that, how to complement the dark voice of that banjo um, without sort of suffocating it, you know? Yeah. And I think if for instance, Britney's fiddle had been playing the melody throughout, the way a typical old-time fiddler would do. It would have sounded great, of course, in her hands, but the banjo might have become more of an afterthought than if it, if it had been a steel-strung standard banjo. So the way that she kind of weaves in and out with bits of melody, but bits of counterpoint and just texture more than anything super specific yes. I thought was the perfect approach and so after that gig I started thinking about um, making a new album and not having it be just more gourd banjo solos but getting some collaborators involved who would know what to do to complement the sound of that instrument. And those three were my first call, and they responded immediately and positively, and from there we just started laying plans for the tracks that they were going to play on, and I couldn't be happier with how those turned out. Yes. I mean, when I listen to it, the banjo playing, it doesn't really sound fragile and old to me it sounds for lack of a better word it sounds modern to me and it's interesting to like think that these songs that could be a hundred years old could sound original and modern you know with this arrangement um, it Thank sounds you. it sounds really it just it's it's kind of like a, a weird comparison to, to feel this like old music but then have it feel 
alive and new and fresh. And the banjo doesn't even sound like it's an old instrument. It sounds like it's just a, a, a beautiful, I don't even know how to explain it, just a, a new kind of a banjo sound. Thank you. I really appreciate those words coming from you, especially, and that's very much the vibe that I go for as a player and an arranger, especially on the gourd banjo, which has mm. such a distinctive sound. It doesn't really sound like a stereotypical banjo, but even on the, the regular steel strung banjo. And that was totally the vibe that my collaborators and I were going for on that project too. Uh, yes, the music was old, but our treatment of it, we wanted to kind of have transcend time. Um, we wanted it to sound and feel fresh while honoring the heritage of the music yes. that we were playing. Not being groundbreaking just to be groundbreaking or envelope pushing or whatever, you know. Trying to uh, infuse the music with something of ourselves, not keep it like encased in amber as it was recorded originally generations ago, but um, not ignore the way that it was done generations ago either. Yeah, and so not just replicating what had been done, but taking it and experiencing it in a new way. Um, yeah. As performers and as creating something that is recorded and now can be listened to and appreciated. Um, so uh, can we listen to another tune, if you don't mind me moving on from that? Please. I, uh, and we can come back. But I, I would love to compare that to another track on the, al the same album, uh, let's take a listen to Kentucky Winder. Okay. Here you go. Just a little, a couple, a couple seconds of this. Here we go. <laughs> could keep listening to that forever uh, that's uh kentucky winder and we the thing i like about that tune the reason i wanted to play it is because i feel like it really shows off your your speed and your accuracy and your rhythmic accuracy your playing is it's it's driving but it's you're playing the melody it's beautiful playing and if you stay down the neck for the most part, you're doing like slight melodic variations, but the whole thing is really interesting. It doesn't get boring. It doesn't feel like you're just playing the same thing over and over. There's like little tiny subtle changes. And I just feel like it displays this mastery of um, speed without sounding like it's out of control. And 
I just I think it's absolutely beautiful playing. Thank you, Hillary. I so appreciate that. It's difficult for me to play that instrument at that sort of tempo because it's strung with mm. nylon style strings that have mm -hmm. more give to them than the steel strings. And just the way the sound is delivered from the banjo, I don't think is quite as conducive to moderate tempos as it is to more relaxed ones. But in a way, that was part of the fun of arranging that tune in that way, um, knowing that it was probably going to come across better up-tempo than down-tempo, and let's just see how I can work with that. And uh, You know, I didn't even think about that. With the, with the gut strings or the synthetic gut string. I didn't even think right, about that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the physicality of playing that instrument is so different from um, the, the tighter strung, steel strung instrument. My right hand has to make all kinds of changes technique wise to, to get away with those sorts of tempos. But I thought it came together okay, and my, my special <laughs> guest collaborator certainly helped me keep the tempo up. That was Ricky Skaggs on the mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, how was it working with Ricky Skaggs? That's it was unbelievable. Also, I mean, I had all of these musical heroes of mine on the project. I just don't know how I got so lucky. <laughs> but I made the connection with Ricky through Russ Carson, the current yeah. banjo player in Kentucky Thunder, who's an old friend of mine from Clifftop, believe oh, it or yeah. not. Russ's dad plays old-time music. And so the family kind of went to Clifftop for a lot of years when Russ was starting to get into it. Russ plays great claw hammer banjo too. Yeah. Not a lot of people have heard him do that, but of course he's a superlative bluegrass banjo player. So he let me know some years back that he had happened to share my Earth Tones album with Ricky after he had gotten the gig in the band, and Ricky and the band were enjoying listening to it in the tour bus. So I thought that was hilarious and wonderful. And then the next thing I knew, I was getting a Facebook message from Ricky Skaggs introducing himself as if he had to. I've admired his music forever and ever. Jeez Louise. And wanting to know more about the gourd banjo because he loved that sound. He plays clawhammer banjo as well. And he was interested in possibly getting one and wanted to know what he should look for. So we began a little bit of a correspondence and um, we crossed paths at the Tennessee Valley Fiddlers Convention in Alabama in, I guess, 2018. I was hired to judge contests down there. I used to attend that festival and have tried to maintain a relationship with it ever since, so they brought me back as a contest judge a few times, and that particular year, Kentucky Thunder was the hired act for evening entertainment. So uh, Russ arranged a, a meeting between Ricky and me backstage at that event, and he couldn't have been nicer or more laid back, and he told me that evening that if I ever had in mind to do more recording with the gourd banjo, and I could use anything that he did to just let him know, and he'd be there. 
So I kept that in mind and I reached out again when I started making plans to record and asked if he'd be up for doing a duet <laughs> and it kind of evolved from there. Some of Ricky's earliest musical influences were similar to a lot of my favorite old-time music influences fiddlers from eastern Kentucky where he grew up and even though his music has gone in its own direction obviously I can still hear and feel a lot of that influence differently from what I hear in many other contemporary bluegrass musicians who yeah. didn't have that particular background and so I thought we might be able to get on the same aesthetic page if I picked a tune from that sort of tradition and from that part of the world. So the Kentucky Winder tune comes from John Salyer of Eastern Kentucky. And Ricky didn't know John Salyer, but he interfaced with people who may have known John Salyer way back and who otherwise played in some similar ways and had some crossover repertoire with Salyer. So it felt like a good choice and it was super fun to get to do with Ricky. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm, I'm completely obsessed with this tune now. And I'm just oh. listening to it over and over again. I love this tune so much. And, and to think that in the back of your mind, you're like, maybe I'll ask Ricky Skaggs to play on my album. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I hope I get in that position someday. That's, that's a really cool story. And it, it makes me think about you as a musician. It makes me think about the people that you asked to play on this album, the people that you asked to surround you day to day. And to me, I feel like, and I'm presenting, I'm projecting or presenting myself onto you. I feel like you're a music lover. Like, I feel like you love different types of musics, not just old time. And I, I'm wondering about your philosophy on music as we go into this like second section of banjo chat this is kind of like the um introspective part um what do you consider uh, or what's your philosophy on music or what do you consider good music um you know uh, good musicians good music wow well you're right that i just love music and i listen to more than just old time for sure I've always loved that quote. I think it was Duke Ellington, but I bet others have said things like it too. If it sounds good, it is good. And that's really how I feel. Um, if there's heart and soul behind whatever is being played or sung, and if there's quality in the person or people doing it, I don't care what kind of music it is. I don't care how it's arranged. Um, if it has those qualities and if it's being done thoughtfully, that's what it takes to make good music, in my estimation. Those are the ingredients. And I think there are certain types of music that any of us relate to better than others. It's whatever we know the best or have surrounded ourselves with the most, but even music that I don't know anything about and am hearing for the first time, if I perceive what I'm hearing to possess those qualities, I'm going to find something in it to really like and potentially to learn from, too. Uh, I like to think that we're learning as musicians all the time from whatever we're listening to, even if we're not listening to it with the explicit purpose of learning to do this thing. 
we're still absorbing something from it. We're absorbing information from it. And mm. that information churns around within us and probably jumps out from us in mm. various expected and unexpected ways. I tell a lot of my students, too, that they don't need to feel they're only learning is happening with the instrument in their hands. A lot of my mm. students have really demanding work lives or family lives or whatever, and they feel uncomfortable with how relatively little time they spend playing the banjo or practicing their assignments or whatever. And sure, it'd be great if we all had just hours and hours every day that we could spend on just that, but the reality is not many of us do. So I tell them my strategy for learning new music, I put that music that I want to learn on in the background of my life. Sometimes in the foreground as well, but not just when I have the instrument in my lap is the point. If yeah. I've got a long drive, I'll create a playlist of the material that I need or want to learn. And I just play it over and over and over again. And if I get tired of a particular piece of music through that repeated listening, well, then maybe I don't need to learn it after all. But mm -hmm. if I don't get tired of it, which is typically what happens, I'm coming to know that piece of music more intimately than one might expect from not like studying it and not working through it simultaneously on the instrument. So when I do finally have a chance to pick up the instrument, I already have a sense of how that piece of music works. And from there, I just need to make the choices of how to deal with it on the instrument. I'm not struggling to remember, now what does it do next? How does it go? By then I sort of know how it goes. So I guess I've taken a little bit of a turn away from uh, the, the questions that you asked, but I guess my point is I am constantly listening to music and for different purposes, but I like to think that learning is happening through all of it. My listening has always oriented around traditional music, but it's not even limited to that. Um, a lot of people are surprised to hear that I listen less to old-time music than I do to some other sort of adjacent genres, and that's not for any particular reason. I've got nothing against old-time music, but mm -hmm. it's what I do, it's what I feel I know best, and sometimes it's nice to have a little retreat from one's comfort zone, but still delve into stuff that one can relate to. I listen a lot to traditional Irish music mm. and some Scottish stuff, some English stuff as well. I feel like the fiddle music of the British Isles is all sort of connected. And then um, the associated fiddle traditions from Canada, especially Maritime Canada. I really dig that stuff. I don't play much of it. I've worked out select repertoire from those traditions, mostly on the banjo, occasionally on the fiddle. 
but I feel like it would take many lifetimes to get to know those musics in the way that I'm enjoying continuing getting to know old-time music. I listen to a whole lot of bluegrass as well. Mm -hmm. I really admire the musicianship that I hear in just kind of middle-of-the-road bluegrass. I feel like, and I hate to say this in a way, it's a cut above the musicianship that I hear in middle-of-the-road old-time. And there are a lot of great musicians in both genres, don't get me wrong, but I feel like the bar is set just enough higher in bluegrass um, to make for pretty exceptional playing and singing kind of across the board among the musicians and bands that are recording and whose music is uh, being broadcast on Sirius XM and places mm. like that. I don't play bluegrass music. I took about six months of bluegrass banjo lessons when I was also very new to clawhammer banjo. Ah, did you? Just enough to get a sense of kind of the basic mechanics of the style and to tell that this is way hard and I could never get very good at it. And I'd better leave <laughs> that uh, to people like you who play so well in both styles. Um, but I love to hear great bluegrass banjo played. I love the tightness of a great bluegrass band. I love bluegrass-style harmony singing and um, the kind of calculations that seem to have to go into really successful multi-part harmonies in that genre. Um, I've also worked up some bluegrass material in my own way to be interpreted as like quasi old time material, sort of like I do with the other fiddle genres. I'm not intending to become a musician in one of these genres, but I still feel like there's lots I can learn from them, right? There's, there's so much and um, it feels like, uh, it feels like uh, it could be adapted for Clawhammer Banjo. Sure. Uh, a lot of that bluegrass music. and um, But I had a feeling that there was a lot going on there with your musical taste. It's almost like if you're a chef, you know, all these ingredients are coming in and you're you're kind of putting them out into a big cake that you're baking, your music. And it's this love for all this different music is being filtered into, into what you do. It's kind of spinning out and coming out the way it does. It's almost like a, a language that's... Uh, you know, through your influences, and I, I think it's really cool and exciting. That's a great way to put it. Thank you. Yeah, I figure that uh, we all as musicians are um, the sums of our influences, um, whether these are influence, the influences that we've calculatedly worked with or studied or just listen to a whole mm -hmm. lot. And that's one of the many reasons why I've never been one of those traditional musicians who tries to reproduce the music exactly as it was mm -hmm. first recorded. I admire those who can. It's mm -hmm. really difficult. It's yeah. really difficult. But at the same time, um, I'm not John Sawyer. I haven't lived the life that he lived. I've lived the life that I've lived with 
different things going on in the foreground and the background, different musicians that I've been listening to. And so I feel like it's only appropriate to let those influences and let that different life experience somehow get expressed through my music. And that to do it any other way, to just try to play exactly as my sources did, um, is a little insincere mm. for how I look at the music. And again, I don't mean to slight those who were all about reproducing the music as it was recorded long ago, because that's a whole different skill set, and it's really commendable. But I like hearing something of the musician presenting the music. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I don't find so compelling just hearing the piece of music um, conveyed by this person or these people serving as a vehicle yes, rather right. than infusing something of themselves into it. Right. Well, I love that you have an opinion, you have an intention, and you have an energy towards what you do. I, you know, that's admirable. Thank you. you. Know, it's, it's good to go through life with intention and clarity for what you do. And um, I think that's really powerful and awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it doesn't stop. You know, we keep listening to music. It's not like whatever influenced you when you were growing up, whatever you listened to. Like if I listened to Neil Young growing up and now, you know, like that kind of folk rock element enters my songwriting, you know, like those kind of things don't stop. Like you can keep listening to music and keep developing. Like you said, keep learning as a musician, you know, uh, you might listen to Sibelius or Bach and get inspired to create something that sounds like old time, but there's a, an X factor in there that influences what you do. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and um, and I was wondering, as we, we kind of have to wrap it up because I could talk to you all day, I feel like. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm wondering, for all of us out there um, that have those down moments, that have those moments where they feel like things aren't you know, especially with this kind of comparison life that we live in now with social media and you see people playing gigs or someone wins a contest. What do you have any advice for people or anything that motivates you that drives you forward in your career that keeps you focused, that keeps you feeling alive, that that keeps you keeps the hope alive in you? Sure. Um, interesting, too, that in the context of this question, you should mention like this. Um, this life that we live in where we're often in a position of comparing what we do against what our our peers are doing. Social media videos and gig announcements and things like that just circling all around us. I like to do the best that I can at putting a positive spin on those opportunities for comparison rather than a negative one, rather than one that says, oh, so-and-so is just so good, I suck, I should just put the instrument down and do something else because I'm never going to measure up. That may be, but I can still feel, I can choose to feel super inspired by what I'm hearing my peers do, that I know I will never do or may never do 
it's still super exciting to see and hear it done by someone who is really capable and really passionate. And I think the absence of opportunities for that, um, the relative absence, I should say, of opportunities for that during the COVID years was so hard for the community because we were kind of making music in a vacuum. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of us felt kind of burned out and kind of lacking in inspiration during that time. But now that live music is happening again, now that festivals are happening again, all I need to do is attend a few gigs or attend a few festivals, not perform them specifically, just be a listener, be an observer, and there's inspiration all over the place mm -hmm. out there. In the old-time music scene specifically, there are so many comparatively newer faces on the scene who are making the most incredible music. And to some people that could be a downer, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that. But to me, it's just so exciting. And it makes me both want to sit back and watch and listen and just soak it all up and appreciate it. And it also makes me want to work on my instruments mm -hmm. and get better, get as much better as I can. Uh, Tatiana Hargraves is mm -hmm. making incredible music in multiple styles on the fiddle. I love to hear her play A.J. Srubus, one of my favorite modern old-time fiddlers, another young person. Incredible musicianship from A.J. and his Steam Machine band, particularly. Negosi Fields, mm -hmm. unbelievable fiddler. One of my favorite old-time bass players on the scene. I wish everyone could learn to play the bass the way that Negosi plays. And these people are just kind of starting their lives on the old-time music scene, at least from my perspective. I know they've been uh, yeah. circulating for a number of years now, but they're still young. We're still comparatively yeah. young. And it's very exciting to imagine the music that uh, people like them will continue to create and the music yet to be created by other people like them that we haven't met yet. And that keeps me going. That keeps me going. I know that as long as I'm able to listen to others and see others do this thing that they've learned to do so well, it's never going to become boring for me. And I'm always going to have goals that I can stretch for and just inspiration all around me. I love that. It's never going to become boring for you. I love that because you're listening, you're outside yourself, and you're still holding what you do as uh, important. And it's not, you're not devaluing that. And, um, and I think those elements are, are really amazing, special, and um, really important to remember when we're, when we're uh, trying to stay motivated out there in this world. Absolutely. I, I love it. And, um, and I want everybody to keep 
Adam's music in the foreground and in the background at some point soon and take a listen to um, Back to the Earth and, and some of your other albums out there. Um, take a lesson, if possible, from Adam Hurt. He's got a waiting list, so you might not get in there right away. <laughs> <laughs> but get on um, the list. It's a good place to start. Get on the list, and you can go to that list, uh, www.adamhurt.com. That's A-D-A-M-H-U-R-T. And uh, they can find your music at adamhurt.bandcamp.com. And um, yeah, and that's uh, that's that's it for banjo chat today. Um, anything else to add, Adam? Before we sign off here, just gratitude to you, Hillary, for inviting me to chat today and for uh, your podcast idea more generally. Uh, it's yet one more way of bringing the community together over this thing that we all love. And uh, I so admire your excellence in everything, banjo and otherwise. And here's looking forward to a time when we can sit down in the same space and chat and make some music together. It will happen soon, I promise. Yay. So, yay. Well, thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or requests, you can email us at banjochatpodcast at gmail.com. That's the name of this podcast, followed by podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at banjochat. Goodbye. Bye. If you'd like to support the Banjo Chat podcast, all you got to do is help it along with a little like, a little subscribe, and a little review, and that'll help boost it a little bit so I can keep making these for you. Thanks so much.